The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Squawk Box and these are your headlines. Sam Bankman-Fried is denied bail as he faces criminal charges over the collapse of FTX and what prosecutors call the biggest embezzlement in U.S. history, while the new FTX CEO tells U.S. lawmakers the exchange was a vehicle for fraud. This is really old-fashioned embezzlement. This is just taking money from customers and using it for your own purpose. Binance plays down fears of contagion in the crypto space despite reportedly booking $3 billion in withdrawals in the course of 24 hours. That according to crypto analytics firm Nansen, whose CEO tells CNBC he understands why there is a rush on funds. There's been reported news about looking into Binance's business from U.S. authorities. Uh, and so generally there's a concern in the market and people are taking the cautious route of withdrawing from exchanges. What a massive bit of data yesterday, but not as big as people expected. Yes, US inflation comes in softer than expected for November. Now it pushed Wall Street a bit higher, but my goodness me, what a roller coaster. I'll talk about that in a moment. Gains capped ahead of today's key Federal Reserve decision, with officials expected to hike rates by 50 basis points. And quite a shocking headline out of Brussels. Yes, you guessed it. EU energy ministers failed to strike a deal on capping gas prices, scheduling, yes, another meeting for next week in the hope of a Christmas compromise. You know that Jeff and I have been around a long time working together, but we have one of our rare rows today. We had a contretemps, didn't we, Mr. Cutmore? Well, I wouldn't call it a row, but more <laughs> of a gentle disagreement, I think. And the gentle disagreement was what we should head the show with. And so we're going to like kind of take you uh, under the curtain to show you a bit of the editorial process. Because the fact of the matter is, I said, look, Jeff, there's no doubt about it. I hear what you're saying about Sam Bankman not freed anymore, but under bail. I hear what you're saying about FTX and how exciting it is. But the bigger story for everyone out there, markets, portfolios, economies, you name it, trading rooms, is without doubt CPI and the Fed as well. And then I thought to myself, no, he's right. Because as much as without doubt for your positioning out there, the bigger story is CPI, Fed, what happens with the US economy? What happens with interest rate hikes? There is no doubt about it. You're not talking about that in your trading rooms this morning. You're not talking about that in your asset manager's mahogany lined office. You're not talking about that in your little trading den in your attic, are you? You're talking about Sam Bankman-Fried. Well, I go down the road with you on the CPI data because I think in terms of uh, how we analyse news and its relevance for people, the story that is likely to affect the most people globally is the fact that we saw a slightly weaker print on inflation. It's shifting market expectations around energy prices, food prices, shelter, and so on and so forth. And it puts Jay Powell in a very interesting position. Does it almost 
pretty much seal in 50 basis points. But I think I win the water cooler bragging rights because I think when people stop by other people's desks, as you say in the trading rooms this morning, they'll be saying, oh my God, did you see the latest? He's now been denied bail, but it looks like he's going to fight extradition. And that's why I like this story, because it is like a puzzle. Yeah. We are now watching pieces fall into place, but nobody quite understands what further surprises or shocking revelations are yet to unfold, not only with FTX, but within this industry more broadly. And the fact that we're seeing these significant redemptions now in other businesses, I think, throws the spotlight not only on FTX, but much wider across yeah. the whole cryptocurrency Yeah, sector. and I wonder what the Germans would say for it. I know there's a word out there in the English language called yeah. schadenfreude. I wonder what yes. the Greeks would say. There's a word called hubris as well. Yeah. And I know there's an old US Army acronym called FUBAR, and I wonder what they would say as well. Yeah, the, <laughs> the FUBAR one I like in particular. <laughs> but, but, but it is a remarkable story, isn't it? I mean, I think, I think we, you know, not to blow our own trumpet too much here, but we've been sceptical from the beginning. Oh, come on. We, a- anybody absolutely. that's watched this programme will know that. But more recently, over the last few weeks, as we've begun to see this story unfold, I think we've consistently made the case that there will be further revelations that are shocking and expose what were otherwise seen as very intelligent investors globally. It will show them in a very poor light for having made very poor decisions. And again, in an environment where money costs nada, if you're in that part of the market, then incredibly easy to be greedy and see opportunity where ultimately there is only really danger. Greed, greed, greed. Every time over the years I've spoken to my friends in the risk management industry, in the audit industry, in the accounting industry as well, so many times in their lives at investment banks, they've said, look, this is a red flag, or at least this is an amber flag. And they've had the tap on the shoulder. Don't you worry about that. Thank you very much indeed. I will handle this from a trading point of view. And it just shows all those old concerns in 1999, all those old concerns in 2007, with the rogue traders we've seen along the way. And goodness me, you chase one of the original rogue traders, Mr. Leeson, back in the old days as well. It's still alive and present that actually there are so many decision makers who are ignoring proper risk management and in this case, proper due diligence. Now, this next story will ultimately tell you who won in that little debate as to which story was going to be seen as more important by the team this morning. <laughs> so, uh, who's going to read the next story? I, I, I believe it's you, and oh. I believe we're doing FTX. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. No, 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 no. No, on any other day, it would have been the other way around. Sam Bankman-Fried has been charged with fraud, conspiracy to commit fraud, money laundering, and violating campaign finance laws. The FTX founder is considered a flight risk and was denied bail by a Bahamas court. He will remain in jail there until an extradition hearing on uh, in February. Prosecutors described the case as, quote, one of the biggest financial frauds in American history. Bankman-Fried was arrested by the police in the Bahamas on Monday and appeared in court on Tuesday. Meanwhile, the new court-appointed CEO for FTX, John Ray, told the U.S. House committee that FTX's collapse was the worst business failure he had ever seen saying a lack of oversight and financial controls led to its downfall. Really old-fashioned embezzlement. This is just taking money from customers and using it for your own purpose. Not sophisticated at all. Uh, Sophisticated perhaps in the way uh, 
they were able to sort of hide it from people, uh, uh, frankly, right in front of their eyes. But this isn't this isn't uh, uh, you know sophisticated whatsoever. This is just plain old embezzlement. Well, I'll tell you what, Jeff. You know it's a big story. Yeah. Do you well, know why it's in the big guns? <laughs> no. Do you know what? Getting Arjun out of bed from his. Uh, I don't know, his Egyptian cotton sheets. <laughs> uh, uh, get him up to the top of the show at 6 You know it's a big story if Arjun's on set this early. Yeah, absolutely. Morning. Uh, was good it, morning, Steve. You're looking very fresh-faced. Well, you weren't staying you awake last night looking at every... Very uh, comfortable. <laughs> uh, I admit, yeah. Um, I was uh, glued to the, to the screen yesterday. It's amazing, isn't Unbelievable. It? Right, OK, you take it away, because you've been our expert on crypto from day one. So just tell us everything you think is most important. Yesterday was one of the busiest days for news flowing crypto I can remember. And it sort of started my morning covering this uh, chaos happening really with Binance. Uh, Chang Peng Zhao, the CEO, coming out and saying, well, we're pausing withdrawals of uh, USDC, the stablecoin. Now, it's never a good sign when an exchange has to pause withdrawals for users. Uh, they managed to get them back on about eight hours later. His reasoning was that the company was carrying out a token swap because uh, some of these uh, swaps between one token into another had to go through a bank in New York, which was closed. Yeah, yeah I didn't get that. Did you yeah. see my... I, I sent a, a mildly cons, a bemused email to on, on the email chain that we have, because yeah. we're all talking about this on mm. and off air. We don't, we don't just do three hours and go home, do we, Jeff? No. <clears throat> um, but, 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 <laughs> kind of, three and a half. Um, <laughs> but but, but, but so one, one of our colleagues said, I oh, know it's because, you know, this is what Caesar says, the banks are shut. I'm like, this is crypto. It can't yeah. just be that they've got a queue up in New York, in Manhattan, waiting for 8.30 opening for the tillers. It was pretty tillers. unbelievable, because the whole point of crypto and the advocates here are saying, well, there's the a shackles. The shackles, decentralization. We, we don't need the banking system. But clearly the banking system hobbled the company yesterday, which was unbelievable. And then uh, there was a huge amount of outf outflows from Binance yesterday and a lot of concern resurfacing about the strength of Binance, uh, particularly because the company did uh, a couple of weeks ago re release what they called a proof of reserves saying, look, we're 100% collateralized. If this went under, all the customer funds are protected. There was a lot of criticism about that five-page report um, and the lack of information this on this. This is Mazar's report. Uh, it was a very strict. No, I had a little look at this as well. There was very strict terms, in, and I looked at the Mazar's disclaimer. Yes. Was um, this is not an audit? Yeah. This is done under very strict conditions. Uh, there was an acronym which I forgot, an A something or other. But AUP. This, AUP. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's very strict conditionality. So. If, if we wanted a full disclosure, a full audit, that wasn't it. That was not it. And I think there's going to be a lot of people clamoring for, for much more disclosure. And we've seen it across the crypto space as well with companies like Tether, uh, the stablecoin, who've been forced to sort of bring out more and more information about exactly what assets they're holding in reserve, et cetera, et cetera. So that was really the start of, of the day. And, and clearly Binance managed to survive that day. Chang Peng Zhao sent out a memo to his staff saying it's going to be a bumpy few months ahead. But ultimately we'll get through it so we'll see i mean uh, that that's a story that that remains on the sideline but clearly uh, the ftx sam bankman fried charges were were incredible i mean three separate cases the yeah. sec the ctfc as well as the federal indictment we, um, we, we've just been looking at the uh, the new ftx ceo who who effectively uh, as far as i can see isn't helping sam bankman fried's case uh, he's effectively throwing him further under the bus at this point it's a very interesting strategy is this a, an attempt to try and keep ftx alive but in some other format yeah, I think one of the things that John Ray has said is that uh, we're going to try to make uh, 
customers good. We're going to try to make customers whole again and ultimately uh, figure out how to repay customers. But I mean, what is there FTX, any of that money going to be left? I mean, what exactly? I mean, what FTX looks like after this? I can't even imagine that. I can't imagine it's going to be a business that can uh, be sustainable again, that can regrow, but also just the, the damage that's been done in terms of brand, in terms of reputation to FT FTX, and also the amount of crypto investors who've been burnt by this. I think particularly given the size of FTX as one of the world's largest exchanges and, and the global yeah. footprint of the yeah. company. I think it's going to be very difficult to, for FTX to come back here. Well, you've done very well. You got out of bed, so we're going to give you a special prize for that. You're going to get involved in our next interview. So there you go. Didn't know that, did you? Didn't know. Well, you are now. Right, OK. Binance CEO uh, CZ says things seem to be stabilising, as uh, as Arj just said there, after a flurry of withdrawals from the world's largest crypto exchange. CZ said withdrawals topped $1.1 billion on Tuesday and data firm Nansen said they hit $3 billion in 24 hours. CZ confirmed in a tweet that deposits are now coming back in, adding the company has seen greater withdrawals in the past. Binance says it temporarily uh, paused withdrawals of the USDC stablecoin on Tuesday to carry out a token swap. Uh, CEO of data analytics firm Nansen, uh, Alex uh, Svavnvik, Svavnvik? I don't know, Svavn thing. Uh, told CNBC he believes what's happening at Binance is very different to FTX. 2022 has taught us that you can't trust centralized entities as much as we thought we could. And um, while I would like to emphasize that I do think that this is very different from the FTX situation where we saw outflows on chain uh, in real time from FTX uh, to the tune of multiple uh, multi-billion multi dollars, um, when you are comparing that to the flows we see with Binance, Binance has a much larger on-chain reserve of assets. So in, in relative proportions, it's a very different situation, I believe, uh, with Binance. Uh, Nansen CEO there. Well, let's bring in uh, Laith Kalaf, uh, Head of uh, Investment Analysis at AJ Bell. Um, thanks for joining us at this hour. Um, what advice would you give to anybody who is holding any type of cryptocurrency at this point as to what they do with their current positions? Yeah, well, obviously, a fairly uh, sorry state of affairs at, at FTX. Um, I mean, if you've, if you've invested in, in crypto um, already, um, I think really you should have already been willing to, you know, lose a large part or all of your, your investment uh, because of the risk of, of the underlying asset. Um, and that, that should still be the case, really. Um, you know, this is volatile stuff. It goes up and down. Uh, and more recently, it's been going down. So um, that should always be on the table. I think what we've seen with kind of FTX is that there's another kind of risk uh, as well, which which you know comes from the fact that you know these are not banks, these are not kind of financial institutions that have been uh, they've been regulated for decades or hundreds of years, um, and, and actually you know there there can be kind of holes in the kind of exchanges themselves. Now we've obviously see, seen that at, at FTX, and undoubtedly people are kind of worrying themselves about uh, the. Um, you know the, the the coins that they're holding in other places. So I guess from their point of view, the best thing that they can do really is to kind of kick the tires um, on the on the institutions that they're holding crypto crypto with as much as they can. Um, just try and find out um, you know how safe it is and how how safe their assets are, and you know just to to, to try and kind of reassure themselves that um, they're not going to see losses incurred. As a result of what we, the kind of you know activity that we've we've allegedly seen at FTX. 
Nath, we've seen a lot of issues um, with crypto this year and the contagion effect from that. As you look into next year, uh, are there any catalysts you see for any kind of leg up in, in Bitcoin and the broader crypto market? Or is there going to be continued pressure on prices through next year? Yeah, well, I, I try I try not to make any predictions on markets generally. And, and that goes in spades for, for crypto, really, because, you know, we could be sitting here talking this time next year. And, and you know, if Bitcoin was at $5,000 or $50,000, it, it just wouldn't surprise me uh, because the market is you know so heavily um, driven by sentiment. So, you know, it kind of feels to me like at the moment that this this kind of, um, you know, contagion, this kind of fear kind of still has 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 legs to run but you never know what can what can catalyze crypto you know i kind of look back to um you know only only last year 2021 and we saw kind of you know two huge peaks in in, in crypto and in between a 50 percent fall in in the price of bitcoin and a lot of that came down to what was going on on, on elon Twi uh, musk's twitter feed so you know i i think kind of you know if you're looking at the uh, at the next you know, 12 months or so, you know, who knows? It feels like there's a lot of negativity out there and it's it's hard to see, you know, that, that fading soon. So if, if crypto does come back, it kind of has to really climb a quite a big wall of worry at the moment. Uh, you know, there's a huge uh, cult-like following almost in, in the crypto space as well. Uh, many people, despite going down, will say, no, this is, this is the future. This is uh, where we think uh, the future lies. But how much has con uh, sentiment been hit from investors, and particularly retail investors, by this FTX debacle, given the size of this and the global footprint of the company? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think you're absolutely right to pick up on that aspect because this has definitely. I mean, there's been it's been a huge blow, hasn't it, to to, to credibility uh, for for crypto. Um, I think you know it feel, it feels to me like it's kind of a bit of a punch in the face, but not a not a knockout blow because you know as you say, there are plenty of people who really believe in this stuff. You know, they're not go they're not going to change their views. They're not going to disappear overnight. There's actually quite a big industry now that is kind of geared towards uh, providing services around this stuff. So I don't think it's 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 down and out by any means. But I guess you know, from my point of view, there are, is still a big question about the long-term adoption of crypto as you know a means of exchange by consumers, you know, by businesses, and and you know, and you know, even by investors. And, and you know, I think that kind of deep uncertainty really means that you know, for the foreseeable, it just remains a really volatile and and, and highly a highly speculative asset. And I'd also kind of put in the frame the fact that you know, central banks are now either you know launching or looking at launching their own digital currencies, and that actually. You know, obviously, it's the establishment doing that. Um, and so, you know, those those who've been drawn to crypto because of his anti-establishment credentials might not might not care about that. But that does also perhaps undermine some of the, the benefits that crypto purports to, to bring to the table. Leif, just one question for me. Good morning to you, sir. Um, is this affecting the real world? Uh, we talk about uh, crypto over here uh, and I talk about real investments with real companies and real bonds and real govies and what have you over here as well. Uh, is the one from the former affecting the latter, i.e. sentiment in terms of flows, in terms of actually money available to invest elsewhere? I don't think I don't think we're seeing that yet. Um, you know, obviously, kind of, you know, that you know, the, the, a lot of money has been lost lost from FTX. I think if we had kind of a a, a more a more system wide issue, then then you could start to see it um, um, affecting. Um, you know, other assets. But I don't really see that because I guess crypto, there's a lot of money in it, but it's kind of built up as a, a fairly, 
you know, s- separate ecosystem. So, of course, there are people who are nursing losses. But, you know, the, certainly the impression I get anecdotally from people who've put money into crypto is that they've done it with a relatively, most of them have done it with a relatively small amount of money that they have been willing to lose as a little bit of a kind of punt on, on digitalization. So I'm not seeing that yet. I think perhaps at the, the beginning of, of, of this year, we maybe saw a little bit of the reverse feeding through, which is that we saw a big sell-off in speculative assets more generally. And perhaps that actually started, um, you know, Bitcoin and crypto on the downward leg of uh, uh, this particular downward leg of the roller coaster. But as yet, um, no, no signs of, of spillover into more traditional assets. Assets. Thanks, Laith. Okay, <laughs> thank you very much indeed for that. My words, not yours. Uh, Laith Kalaf, who is the head of investment analysis, great analysis. Thank you, sir. At AJ Bell uh, and Arjun Kapal. Well, I'm glad we made it worth your while getting out of bed. Did you get your, your, your coffee? And your, <laughs> did you get your coffee and croissant in bed just before you left? Oh, or was sadly it not, Steve. Sadly not. I'm going to have it at my desk now. Uh, yeah, from from yeah, the but... mean streets of Epping Forest. <laughs> <laughs> you settled in nicely. Have you settled in nicely? Uh, we haven't moved in yet. What? Yeah. Just looking at. What we need to do, painting well, and all of that. You, you know, know, I know a lot of people in that it's part of the world. Pain, it's my yeah. old neck painful of the woods. Process, yeah. isn't it? It's a painful process it's moving a lovely house. area now. Very painful. Lovely area. I, I imagine in you in a sort of Noel Coward-esque uh, yeah. type uh, <laughs> yeah. smoking jacket yes. as you wander, you swish around your <laughs> breakfast room in the morning, uh, organising your muffins. Yeah. You know, with huh? some Waiting for the kedgeroo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Great to see you. I'll see you later. See you later. All yeah. right. Okay, good. Um, two questions. Uh, coming up on the show, <laughs> the Dow gives up. That was an amazing round trip, actually, on the Dow. We'll do this, and we've got some analysis for you after a short break, because the second most important story for many of you today is what the Fed's <laughs> going to do. We'll discuss. And how many times on business TV do you hear the word kedgeroo? That's... Uh, well, I suppose it is a breakfast show First after all. First on CNBC. All. Uh, coming up, um, uh, make a point of tuning into the podcast. Uh, you can get that, of course, where all good podcasts are available. A very interesting start to the podcast this morning as we debate whether CPI or whether the FTX story are going to lead. Um, so do listen in and we will take the break and we'll be right back. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Right, we are in fabulously exciting times. The FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, Binance story, and, and this as well, the markets. Now, look look at this. If you didn't see the session yesterday, you think, oh, well, markets, yeah, a little bit of a rally. Nothing much going on, really. But we'll talk about the CPI and why we saw such massive moves in a minute. Hang on, did I say massive moves? Yes, have a look at this. This is quite extraordinary. So when I saw the print, I was actually out on the forest with the dog in the snow and I saw the print, I thought, oh my goodness me. We have just rallied 700 points to 34,712 on the back of this day. I knew there'd be a rally if it was soft. We knew there'd be a rally, you all did. There was no great genius on my part. We all knew it would rally. But then, 
This bit I didn't know. We came off really aggressively. Where are we? Here we are, look, middle of the session. We're down to 33,890. So we've just lost over 800 points. Uh, and then we did a, a little bit of a rally back up. So we had 700 up, 800 down, 200 back up. What's the maths, everybody? 1,700 points. 1,700 points trip on that. And I think that's absolutely fascinating. We'll get some analysis on why we didn't hold on to those gains. Maybe it's because the next concern is the SEP. I don't think you're worried about the 50 basis points. I think you're worried about what they're going to say on the dot plot, which we get later on as well. But I want to make a point about volatility. Hold on a second. Make a quick point about volatility because we saw extreme movement yesterday. And yet, what did the VIX do? Have a look at this. Have a look at this. The VIX fell 10% yesterday. All right? So I just want to tell you a little bit about trading. All right? Sorry. I'm not a trader. I'm a journalist. But I'll tell you a little bit about the VIX. You clearly thought, right, okay, that's the big news out of the way. We'll sell this down. But if you couldn't make money out of your gamma yesterday, then you were no trader. Then you shouldn't even be owning this stuff as well. Because the fact of the matter is, at around about 23 to 25, the VIX was so tradable with that 1,700-point move on the Dow and the equivalent move on the S&P as well. It says to me, you're not trading your gamma. You're not looking at those big delta uh, creations on the back of the moves. What you're doing is you've just got VIX as a pure insurance policy. And I think that's a real shame. It's a real shame because if you're not trading your gamma on days like yesterday and you're seeing this coming off on, I'll give you another Greek, the Vega. When the vol goes down or up, it's the Vega that changes as well. I think that's quite extraordinary. And I think it tells a lot about how people are using options at the moment. Mr. Cutmore. Yeah, let's pick up on that. Um, and let's just fill in some of the blanks. U.S. consumer price inflation then putting in its smallest monthly increase in more than a year, coming in at 7.1% on the year in the 12 months to November and just 0.1% on the month, offering the strongest evidence yet that price pressures may have peaked. Core CPI stripping out food and energy costs rose 0.2% from a month earlier and 6% on the year. The better than expected inflation report came at the start of the Fed's final two-day policy meeting of the year. The U.S. Central Bank is widely expected to take its foot off the pedal and deliver a half a percentage point rate increase. That's 50 basis points, taking the key policy rate to a range of between 4.25% and 4.5%. Now, traders are betting on a 25 basis point rise at each of the Fed's first two meetings of 2023, with some expecting the last hike to come in March instead of May. Bill Smead, CIO of Smead Capital Management. Very simple question, and good morning to you, sir, or, or good evening in Arizona, I guess. Bill, why did the market not hold the rally yesterday? Well, because it's a bear market rally. Uh, bear market rallies are spectacular, and there's not a lot of substance to them. And this particular bear market is so interesting because you've already covered well the crypto circumstance. But remember, Charlie Munger says this financial euphoria episode was the biggest he's ever seen in his career. That means 75 years because of the totality of it. So remember, the punishment has got to fit the crimes. The, 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 the penance has got to match the sins. So the investors have been pouring money on the way down in stocks that have fallen 30, 40, 50, 60% under the assumption that we're close to the end of a bear market. And, and all the, the nifty 50 unwinding in 73, 74, and the dot com unwinding of 0 to 03 say 22 to 36 months and a 40% decline in the S&P. 
Bill, one of, one of the challenges, I think, for the market yesterday was even as, uh, you know, the, the, the reaction was, as you might expect, stocks rose, bond yields fell, and we got that move that Steve has explained very well uh, in, in that look at the markets. Uh, and then um, we saw this falling back here. And it seems to me that one of the questions that hasn't been answered really is just how uh, resistant this bout of inflation is going to be because we we all go back to the 70s and look at the 70s and of course the 70s tells us it was multi-year and it lasted a long time until Paul Volcker stepped in and squashed it and the economy at the same time. What's your read on how this inflation bout will last? Because I think we've got evidence that goods inflation is transitory, but now it's showing up in services and in wages. Very hard then yeah. to guess how many years this is going to yeah. take. What do you think? Well, at, at our firm, we've chosen to go with the rhyme with the 60s and 70s. So you had the Vietnam War, and this time we had the pandemic war. Back then, you had Johnson's Great Society legislation that met race riots with an expansion of federal government assistance to the poor. That was massive borrowing relative to GDP. And you had a huge pool of baby boomers, much larger group than the prior age group going through the household formation phase. And then you threw the Arab oil embargo in on top in 73, 74. This time, pandemic war, massive six or seven trillion dollars of government stimulus, the most borrowing by the federal government in the United States, other than World War II and the Great Depression. And then you've got 92 million millennials replacing 65 million Gen Xers. And then we didn't have an Arab oil embargo. We had the Arab Spring where the, the, they, they cut the legs off US oil producers and took the price to zero. And the combination of cutting off their legs and taking the price to zero and the pressure to not produce from the ESG slash clean energy movement has laid the groundwork for uh, oil and gas to inflate for the next 10 years. Bill, um, you've got to own something. And, and as the great man in the book behind you and uh, uh, Mr. Buffett, was, you know, there are certain stocks that won't be in a bear market or will actually be the ones you want to own in a bear market. So whilst I, I agree with pretty much most of what you said so far, it's not a bear market for everyone, or is it? Well, we took a, a real close look at 71 through 81. There were two sectors that made good money, and that was oil and gas and things related to land, right? Uh, and when I say things related to land, you got to be really careful this time because it's not going to be uh, downtown metropolitan area office buildings <laughs> like it might have been that time. So land owned by average citizens. In other words, owning a home locks your rent. Wages are spiraling here. Uh, Anybody that goes to any restaurant or interacts with any business that has employees, the signs up, we're hiring at $20 an hour uh, and we'll pay you a bonus to sign up. The wage pressure, see the average Americans and below average Americans are going to catch up uh, and who's losing are exactly the people that we're winning. Wall Street and Palo Alto are, are, are biting the dust. And average Americans are getting their day in the sun uh, on, on the ketchup. Um, 
Bill, you've got a, a, an interesting uh, series of picks here and one that you know, we've been grappling with for a time and that's the European automakers. And, and, and the expression value trap immediately comes to mind here given some of the challenges we've seen with uh, Stellantis more recently as it's now beginning to pull back on its EV investments. But they, we all know that these trade at low multiples but they have for quite a long time. Why do you see a breakout here and which companies do you like? Well, uh, you know, I, I am a co-portfolio manager on our international fund and Cole is the point person for that. And what, what we see both in the United States, in Europe and in Canada uh, is that capital and labor has become very much more important. The, the history of great 10 to 12 year runs in value stocks is capital and labor win and, and, and capital intensive businesses win. So you got 92 million people to sell cars to in the United States and, and the European automakers make fantastic cars. Uh, I drive a BMW myself, for example, and, and we own BMW and, and, uh, 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 people, you know, baby boomers like their Porsches. And we think that the net present value of the next 10 year income stream is way more valuable than those stocks are representing. And that's the big conundrum right now. You want to own, we like what we own. We own oil and gas. We own land. We own the, the class A suburban mall reads. We own the, 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 uh, Canadian oil companies and the Canadian lumber producers because we got to build a lot of houses the next 10 years. But we know that we have to sit through the next probably 12 months of probably the tide continuing to go out and, and working against us temporarily to get to the money we're going to make over the next 10 years. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.